Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 18th year. It's Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening, I'm Liz Mitchell. Last week, we spoke to Diana Daniels, a descendant of the Lick Creek Settlement, founded by one of the first African-American settlers who came to Orange County, Indiana, five years before the county was established and Indiana became a state. These these settlers were free citizens who fled racial persecution and increasingly restrictive laws for free Blacks in their previous home in North Carolina. Traveling with the Quakers offered some protection on their journey and the promise of supportive neighbors upon their arrival. By 1855, the settlement reached its maximum size of 1,557 acres. This week, we are speaking with Lavella Heiter, a descendant of the Roberts Settlement. Roberts Settlement was an early rural settlement in Hamilton County, Indiana, dating from the 1830s. Its first settlers were free people of color, most of whom migrated from Beach Settlement, located 40 miles southeast in rural Rush County, Indiana. Many of Robert's settlement's early pioneers were born in eastern North Carolina and Virginia. Some of its settlers were ex-slaves. The neighborhood received its name from the large contingent of its residents who had the surname of Roberts. By the 1870s, the farming community had a population of about 800 residents. In the late 19th and early 20th centuries, the settlement population began to decline, largely due to changing economic conditions that included rising cost of farming. Fewer than six families remained at the settlement by the mid-1920s. Most of Indiana's early Black rural settlements including Robert's settlements, no longer exist. Now, Robert's Chapel, listed on the National Register of Historic Places, serves as the site for the community's annual reunion of its friends and the descendants of former residents. And we're going to learn a little bit more about this particular year because this is a milestone year for those family reunion gatherings. And here to shed more light upon the Robert's settlement is Lavella Hyder. We have also invited back Diana Daniels from the Lick Creek Settlement to join this conversation. Ladies, Lavella and Diana and Liz, welcome to Bring It On. Yes, thank, thank you, you ladies. So welcome. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just really impressed with the history. Um, you, you did some heavy lifting and, and going through records and deeds and um, genealogy studies and on and on and on to find your truth, to find your history. And I think Liz had mentioned that at the height of uh, 1870, there were 800 residents. I believe that was 300 residents. Is that correct, Lavella? Yes, uh, approximately 300. Uh, at its peak, we had about uh, 2,000 total acres okay. uh, in, in Hamilton County. That's correct. Uh, today, and... today, we have about 400 acres that remain in the family. 
Okay. Uh, that's in addition to the chapel and the historic cemetery that still e- exists. The chapel itself was uh, built in 1858. That's that's the second chapel that was built. The first one was was actually a a log chapel, you might call it that, that was originally built. And last week we discovered, and then I'm going to turn this over to Liz after this, we, we discovered there's some common threads between both Lick Creek and Robert Settlement, and then another settlement up in Canada uh, that we kind of discovered last week. But uh, that there is a common thread between these two settlements. And I don't know if that was unusual or if this was somewhat commonplace amongst the various settlements in Indiana. So either lady, if, ladies, if you want to answer that, it would be great. Well, I think I think it is uh, a rather, rather common. Uh, you know, as you indicated, uh, during the migration, uh, the, the Roberts Settlement families first went through the Beach Settlement. Then as land became scarce there, uh, then they, uh, most of them went on to Hamilton County. And from there, they went on to Michigan. Some of them went further, further north than that. Exactly. And, and Diana also has some, some connections as well, you know, branching off, uh, as well from different areas and, and going on to different settlements. So it, it is, uh, it, it was rather uh, common, uh, to have those type of connections, certainly. Well, you know, I wanted our listening audience to gather from these conversations from uh, last Monday and this Monday and hopefully some future conversations on the Black settlements, how successful they were, not only Black settlements, but Black neighborhoods, uh, most of the Black communities, not only here in Indiana, but in the U.S. were successful, hardworking people. Uh, who made a life even with all of these restrictions. And certainly your families were no different because you know that Indiana had all of these restrictions against your ancestors when they came here. They couldn't vote. They couldn't testify against a white man. Um, I don't know about the beach and Roberts, but I know down in Lick Creek, they had to go to Paoli to the town seat and register. So you, you had... The the deck was stacked against them, and yet they were highly successful people. And I, I think uh, in, in large part, uh, you, you might call them cultural islands, Liz. Yes. Cultural islands because of their, their racial identity, you know, being, uh, you know, uh, African, Native American, uh, as well as European. You had them... Uh, you know, because of their family connections, they tended to bond together closely for protection. They also had, uh, you know, they had um, uh, their, their faith uh, that that uh, was very, very prominent within their families. You had their, uh, you know, we, we, we called um, ourselves, you know, um, free people of color. Now, free to some extent, okay? Uh, and and likewise, when that migration took place, it, w- it took place and we we built our settlements around Quakers who were protective of our people. OK, so that that's why I called it a cultural island. We were kind of um, uh, we, we looked at being able to 
survive as much as we could on our own. We looked at being able to thrive as much as we could on our own. We educated our own to some extent, like, you know, in Robert Selman initially, we built our, our, our own schoolhouse, our subscription school we built there within the settlement until we were able to build our public school. So we provided for ourselves because we had to, in a way, you know, right. and uh, to, and we, we also wanted to be able, we, we, we revered the importance of faith, education, yeah. family. That was so important. Okay. And we took care of that to, in, to whatever we, extent we could within our own family. That was so critical to our existence and being able to, to survive and continue on. Okay. Diane, I wanted to ask you, I know that at Lick Creek that you had um, an AME church there. I had not heard if your family had a school there, did they? They didn't have a school building. They used the home of uh, Elias Roberts, who was the first settler there. And uh, they used his home. They have done some... um, excavation work at his home and they have found artifacts or things dug uh, into the ground, pencils, lead, lead, uh, things that let you know slates that a school was there. So I think that in the early uh, point in their history, the children went to his house for schooling. Um, most of the early settlers could read and write because they came out of North Carolina and they came from conditions that they were allowed to read and write. So they brought that with them and they were able to teach their own children. Between the two of us, and I'd like this, both of you to answer this, what all led to the decline of these black settlements. Now I know farming and economics, we know that changed, but what other reasons, especially with Lick Creek, what happened? And you know, most of our listening audience probably are unaware of these successful black settlements. So what was the decline? Why don't they exist anymore? What happened? I think that there were several reasons. It wasn't just one. It was uh, lots of things came into play at the same time. Mm -hmm. And at one point, there was 290 people living in Lick Creek. Now, that was Black people. That did not include the, the, uh, the Quakers and other people that may have been there. But one of the things that comes out loud and clear in the research is the appearance of the KKK and the Copperheads. Now, that those were people who were anti, um, they were anti-Black, uh, let's put it that way. And that's why seven families packed up their wagons and left in the middle of the night and just left the land and went to uh, Canada. Other reasons for it was that schooling was one. I just found this out this week in the research I've done. Paoli, the state of Indiana in 1851 said that blacks could not attend school. So Paoli uh, would refuse to uh, integrate their school 
to allow black students from a lick creek to come into their school system. So we had to have our own. So that's one of the reasons I think had a big um, impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, as anything else happens, land changes over time. And you can just do so much to it before it's going to make, make some changes. I think climate and land also has some type of a bearing. The uh, Civil War also influenced uh, Lick Creek, which is located only 30 miles from the Ohio River. Yeah. Next door was uh, Kentucky, a slave-holding state. So people were fearful of being caught back up into slavery. Also, I think the General Assembly in Indiana in 1850s made some uh, statements uh, that they didn't want blacks in the state. No more could come in. They could not go to school. It was just a whole list of things that they were trying to escape when they came here from North Carolina. Here was right back in their face. So I, I think there are lots of reasons why. Uh, people left. My family stayed. All of them stayed. All the Roberts and the Thomases and the Bonds stayed down in Lick Creek. The last one to leave was my uncle in 1902. He was the last farmer to leave the area. So uh, I think, and, and there are lots of reasons. Um, it has to deal with not only prejudice, but but the land itself, uh, the new types of factories that were being built, and people wanted to have more opportunities to make more money than farming. So I think there are lots and lots of reasons. The whole uh, environment was changing after the Civil War, and they had saw more opportunities by going north. Okay. I, uh, Lavella, what do you think? Yeah, yeah and, and and most of what Diana uh, said is is very similar to what happened at Robert Selman. And, and a couple more things I m- I might add is that you know as as certain landowners died, you know um, on on settlements, most of the families they they were large. <laughs> so right. so when you split up the up up the land to the uh, descendants, there were small tracts. <laughs> of land available, you could not have a successful farm of 40 acres or less. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't do much with a really small farm, right? Uh, another thing is that marriage. There weren't that many marriage opportunities within the settlement, okay? You know, who's going to be my wife or who's going to be my, se- my, my, my husband-to-be, you know, in that small community? They would go outside of the settlement to see other opportunities. Likewise, an, another thing, like as Diana alluded to, were, were, you know, beyond farming, you know, you had the industrial uh, development happen outside of the settlement, whether it be, you know, Nobosville or Kokomo or even, you know, further, uh, you know, the larger industrial complexes in, in Chicago or, or what have you, that attracted the younger generations to go off and 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 you know uh, ha- get a, a a higher higher level of income available to them. Uh, one last point is regarding education. Uh, 
uh, now we we valued education quite a bit. So when they when they went to higher a higher le- level of education, they wanted to put that to use, and they quite often could not do that, and you know uh, and apply that back on the farm. So they would go off to Chicago or St. Louis or you know the the big metropolitan areas to take that higher uh, level of education and and put it to use in in that you know those environments and what have you mm-hmm. um i might add that the the last descendant uh of robert's settlement i would say left probably maybe about 25 years ago from really? the settlement so currently there is no descent d- direct descendant living at the settlement at the present time okay both of you talked about how important education was. I happen to know from Stan Madison down at Lyle Station, that Black settlement, how important education. And that's the first building that they restored was the schoolhouse. It's amazing to walk in to see what that small community produced out of that school. And when he gives a tour, he talks about the principal, how strict they were to get out of eighth grade, all the stuff that you had to know before you left eighth grade. High school students don't know that stuff today. So we know the butler for the White House came from there, the Black Encyclopedia that was first written, um, uh, Fields, I can't think of Fields' last name came back from the wars he had so many medals on his jacket it hung lopsided tell me who and come out of each one of your settlements well uh you know from our our one room schoolhouse and it's unfortunate that it no longer existed but it was uh you know less than oh less than half a mile from where our chapel is today but my great-grandfather and great-grandmother were teachers there you know, but um, it was a remarkable schoolhouse. And, and and let me tell you, the we, of course, were not allowed to go to the public school system. But we, of course, we, we built our own schools and our school became so prestigious. All right. Mm-hmm. We were we were on the level and even higher than some public schools. Mm-hmm. All right. As far as the level of education that we offered. We, although we were not allowed to go to the public schools, we opened our school up to the local white families in the area who came to the school. Wow. All right. Mm. They came to our school. And so we produced a lot of students from that school who went on to do some great things in the community as well as far, far beyond became great educators, became great in, in you know, clergy uh, and what have you out of the school. My, my great-grandmother um, was just, uh, she was my heart. <laughs> she uh, was a remarkable woman. She lived to be 101. Uh, she uh, had a farm in Atlanta, Indiana, and she managed that farm up until her 80, through her 80s and what have you. Uh, and... Um, she um, she wrote a dissertation 
for, I, I would call it, it was almost the, the level of a college dissertation that she wrote when she graduated from high school. And it is on our, our website. It's called Well-Doing. Anybody would be able to read that. It's just remarkable, her writing uh, that, that she, she wrote on that. And it is available in the, at the Indiana uh, History Society. It is on record there, uh, her writing. Okay. Um, Diana, well, who's come out of Lick Creek? Uh, Lick Creek had several, but the probably, I would say the most prominent one in education would be the uh, Eaglesons. They came out, their mother was my great-grandmother's, great-great-grandmother's sister. And they came, all came out of uh, Lick Creek into Mitchell, Indiana, when it started closing down, then into uh, Bloomington. And you know the story. They're the first yes. black graduates of, of IU, uh, 1895, and had such high levels in the area of science. All three of them went on later to become uh, the president of uh, West Virginia State, and later on, I think it was um, it was Morehouse and and Spelman. Also, they um, all taught there, and they were the brothers of your famous person down there in Bloomington, uh, Mrs. Uh, Bridgewaters. Yes, also a member of the uh, Lick Creek family. So. I would say, but we also had a minister whose brother was Hiram uh, Revels. Yeah. He was the first black senator in the U.S. Senate. His brother was the pastor of the church, of the AME church in Lick Creek. Now, there are others, you know, that went on, left there, went on to school and, and, and did some fantastic things. But I, when I found out, I didn't know about the uh, family until about 10 years ago when I was at IU and I saw that they were giving away a scholarship in the name of the family, of the Eagleson family. And I knew that name from my father talking about them. So I came home quickly and I looked it up and there they were. Didn't have any idea. I mean, things just don't get passed on that quickly, you know. And I, I think that's one of the things that I think I kind of heard Mr. Boom talk about this. We talk about freedom, but we don't talk about liberation. Mm -hmm. And that's what knowing who you are gives you that drive to be not just free, but liberated. Mm -hmm. so, and that's what I've been writing about this morning. I got up this morning, decided I was going to write on what that means because we have this fantastic day coming up next uh, next Monday, uh, Juneteenth, which is really celebrating the fact that the slaves were set free in Texas two years after uh, the uh, Emancipation Proclamation. And I kept asking, well, what does that mean? What does freedom look like? And I read the whole book on what freedom meant in, in Texas. And it was all about, I'm free from slavery. But as slavery went on, we still ended up as being enslaved in other areas, whether it was um, economics, whether it was education, 
we still were not able to be totally liberated from the conditions in which we were brought here in. So I think that was one of the things I think uh, as I listened to my uh, counterpart and my mentor talk, that's something that needs to be in, in our conversations every time we talk about those settlements. They were people that were not enslaved and their minds were way down the track. They were truly liberated people to build schools, to build churches, to stay on land and and to farm and to take some of the things they had to take being people of uh, color. So I just want to mention that in the conversation. Yes. Well, if if you just tuned in to bring it on, we are having one of the most uh, insightful, educational, just rewarding conversations with two ladies who are representatives of their respective settlements. We have uh, LaBella Heider of the Robert Settlement, and the voice you just heard was Diana Daniels of the Lick Creek African American Settlement. Um, these two ladies have done research, and they've had, of course, a team of people, family, and, and others from around the state have pitched in to help them uh, do their research. I know with Lick Creek, Last week, we talked about how I think the forestry uh, department assisted and a lot of your uh, heavy lifting, um, but it's just phenomenal and wonderful to see that happen. And then Diana had to mention the Eagleson family. And of course, I'm sitting here beaming uh, because um, at the time, Francis Marshall, um, at the time, uh, well, Francis was the second African-American to graduate from Indiana University. And Marcellus Neal was the first in 1895. And along came right before Francis, Terry Parker Taylor, who attended IU, but did not graduate. And uh, when I worked at the IU Alumni Association, I had the esteemed esteemed pleasure of meeting descendants of Carrie Parker Taylor. I met her son who passed away at the age of 103. He was just as lucid. He was just as, uh, his mind was sharp as a tack. He bowled every day. (laughs) And also, um, going back to both Neil and Marshall, at the uh, esteemed pleasure of being the lead fundraiser, major gift campaign to build the Neil Marshall Black Culture Center. So when when you evoke the name, and I knew the Bridgewater family. I know Betty very, very well. I knew Mrs. Elizabeth Bridgewaters. Uh, just the legacy families in Southern Indiana. Right. Now, I say all that to say education, and I want to go back to that. You, you, Someone used the phrase subscription school. I, I've never heard of that. Can you explain what subscription? I, I've not heard that name, subscription oh. school. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah, that 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 was that is a school that is kind of it's self created. Yeah. It's self charter like a like a charter school. You, you put it together on your own. Okay. On your, based upon your own knowledge or what experience you may have gained on your own, uh, how you want to structure it. Uh, yeah. Now and they have... were all over. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we have we have 
nowadays the Abika um, school system or the Abika curriculum, and was there a curriculum that they had to adhere to to get um, some type of degree or certification that they graduated from so for some for so many years? And I know that you didn't have to have a twelfth grade degree. You didn't have to go the whole distance in eighth grade. I've heard that eighth grade was the target. Mm-hmm. How did that work? I mean, they, they went to school and learned the basic reading, writing, and arithmetic. Right. And, and that right there will help you navigate life. Yeah. But how did they show what certification did they get or or did they not? What, what happened? I, I really personally cannot an, answer that uh, mm-hmm. to much extent what, what the depth was in, in regards to. Uh, you know how they how they followed through on that, or was it certified to any extent, or how they measured it? Um, I don't know. I'm sure there was some type of formula. Sure. Yeah. And it and was a, they an probably, achievement. They probably would have had to have had it once they got the public, like the schoolhouse number right. five established. They would have had to produce something on that order to be able to do that. Well, I I. I know that they were normally in rural areas to educate farm children and because you had to go to school uh, off the uh, the season of farming. So if it was peak time for farming, you didn't go. Normally the parents would get together. It was more like a private school and it was not usually not paid by taxes. The, um, the parents uh, paid the teacher, mm-hmm. hired the teacher. Right. You might have been paid with money. You might have been paid with produce. Or um, um, when they butchered a hog, the teacher might have got some of that. Yeah. And that was, and they were all over the South. And um, you know, how, many, how many dozen eggs do you want, right? Yeah, yeah, they would do that. Yeah. Well, and well, and it's poor rural areas had those you know, subscription yeah. schools. You know, you know I, I look at our academic calendar now, and we're still on that on that same time frame, you know, May or at the late, at the very latest June, school was shut down until August. And, and we sort of follow that same pattern. And many people are trying to get a change so that summer isn't just 90 days of just almost languishing. But I remember, I remember as a young girl, though, sometimes I would have to take off from school to help my dad harvest the crops. Right. Because it was a school, there were school days involved, but I I had to help him on the farm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, when you we speak of education, if you go uh, across America and talk to people from these black communities all across America, the top dog was education, and even during segregation, um, like the schools up in Gary Gary Roosevelt, Indianapolis. Crispus Attics, uh, Lincoln High School. Mm-hmm. You got a good education because those teachers had PhDs. It was in our community during segregation. They knew your parents. They knew you, they knew your grandmama. Go in there acting crazy. And they demanded your attention and a high level of excellence was mm-hmm. demanded. So when when the black kids come out of those segregated schools, it was a cream yeah. of the crop, every one of them. 
Now, I might, I might add that Reverend, Reverend Dolphin Roberts, he, uh, he was uh, the pastor at Bethel AME Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. uh, during the time that Madam C.J. Walker was there, he he uh, he was he walked hand in hand with Madam C.J. Walker in 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 some of her her civil her civil rights work and what have you. And also, uh, he was asked to come to Tuskegee uh, by Booker T. Washington mm -hmm. uh, to work in the educational department. And he and his wife are buried there near Booker T. Washington. I just read, I'm doing a, a documentary about the Black community in West Baden, French Lick. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Booker T. Washington was there in 1917 to speak at the Dunbar School and the AME Church there. People there, Mrs. Bessie Jones and the women from West Baden, French Lick, traveled to Indianapolis uh, for this women's group and were hung out with... Um, Madam C.J. Walker, uh, Ida B. Wells, Francis Harper. Mm -hmm. I can't recall right now the name, of, but all of them strive for excellence. I guess it was the Better Women's Club or something like that that had a chapter in Indianapolis. So, yeah, you, yeah. It, it was just amazing the things you hear about. And I go, I, I wish we were doing that now. <laughs> and just, oh. the, you know. And and that that's that's without even uh, uh, Liz and Claire's that's without even having internet or you know right. social media. Yes. They they had those close ties, you know, right. knowing, yeah. knowing where to be at and you know what was happening and you know. <laughs> I don't know how they did it. it was blind. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, one one last question. Um, um, I'm not going to ask that. I want to keep this positive. I was going to talk about the KKK and the Copperheads, and I've never heard the phrase Copperhead, but I can imagine. I can imagine. But anyway, Laos Station, we talked. And we are, Liz and I have been in contact with uh, Stanley, um, who is the curator of, not only the curator, but he's also farming down there. And Liz and I did a field trip down Laos Station, probably what, 10 years, 10 plus years ago, or so many years ago, so many moons ago, yeah, we went down and just took a look at all all of the land that was there, and he, and he gave a sort of a heartbreaking story about when a flood came through, natural disaster, and just wiped out all this fertile farmland, and that was that was a catalyst to have people move away. Yeah. So I mean, sometimes nature can work against you too. But I, I do want to applaud both you ladies and uh, um, Diana. Do you have a a website that we can visit to learn a little bit more? Uh, certainly, about certainly. That? I'll give it because, to you. Okay, and, uh, and at the end, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you both at the end of this to share with our listening audience. So, so and we're going to put it on the website so they can go there and, and get that information. <laughs> uh, I did. I did in the research I did leading up to this conversation. Lavella, I was. Impressive, no doubt. Lick uh, Creek is similar to this, but you had historical benchmarks that have taken place there. You had the the, tar the photos, which mm -hmm. really they were impressive. Gatherings at the at the chapel, mm -hmm. and that seems to be the central place to bring people to. Mm -hmm. And you're 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 chronicling your history, and that's going to pay big dividends, as it's been doing for both of you. 
And, and I can't say enough. Liz is an historian and she knows the value of history. And both of you ladies, I'm talking to historians tonight. This is, this is awesome. <laughs> so um, Liz, I'm going to turn it back over to you because I know you have a, a laundry list of, of, of questions for both ladies. Well, one thing, uh, you brought this up, the website. I want the listening audience here locally and beyond to know about your website. So take your turns, each one of you to tell about that. And also tell our listeners how to visit. If people want to drive by or, or go see your area, talk about that too. Let's start with Diane, Diana, the website and how to visit and how can people learn more? The uh, website is uh, www. Uh, rtb1.org and the website is not complete there's still some things that we are actually going to have to change on and mainly dates but uh, the the website talks to you about Lick Creek and the early settlers that they came it gives you a lot of uh, the uh, a lot of the uh, history on the Matthew Thomas's family and the um, Elias Roberts family. And my favorite character in my history is uh, Ishmael Roberts. He's, he, he was some character. And when I, I, I read what he's done and the things he, he did all through the courts, all these records are, are, are there in the courts in uh, uh, Chatham County, North Carolina. When I read about him, oh, he was a badass. But he made stuff happen. He made things happen. He's probably the reason there is a Lick Creek now, or there was one at that point. He had 12 children, and the 12 children, most of them came to Lick Creek. So Ishmael is my favorite character in my in my family. Uh, he also was a, uh, fought in the uh, Revolutionary War at Valley Forge. And he is, has a very colorful background. Um, he was a free man of color. They told him he could not carry a gun. He said, yes, he would carry a gun. He took them to court and won his case. This is, I mean, this is, I'm talking early 1820s, 1830s, 1840s. So I, there's a lot on there on Ishmael and the Matthew Thomas's family and the Bond family. My great-great-grandfather, Monroe Bond, lived in Lau Station. And that's where he married his second wife, uh, Amanda. Then they moved to Paris, Illinois. So there's a lot of history that you'll see on, on there. And it's not complete. We have, we have finally got the people in Buxton, Canada, to do a landing page on our website talking about why they left and how they and how they have actually flourished in the last uh well basically the last 150 years in Buxton uh Canada wow wow great great okay Lavella can you tell us about your website and yes it's, and how uh, to visit Robert settlement if people want to go by and see it First of all, we, we are 28 miles directly north of Indianapolis, <laughs> off of 276th Street. Uh, the, the website is 
www.robertsettlement.org. And to learn about our legacy walk, it's after the .org, it's uh, forward slash legacy hyphen walk. And um, yeah, it's uh, open to the public. Uh, to get access to the chapel would require uh, contact with us to make a reservation to do that right now. Okay. That's, what advice, um, and I'll start with you on this one, Mabella. What advice do you have for descendants of other settlements to preserve their land? Um, I, I would say, um, Try to keep it. <laughs> keep your land. Keep your uh, land. If you if you feel you are in a in a situation where you have to sell it, try to keep it within the family. Um, if you if you must, but it's important to to keep keep the land. That that is critical to do that. Uh, try to keep it within the family. It's it's important to do that. As far as other assets are concerned. Um, other um, buildings, artifacts, keep all records, documents, um, any any valuables, any instruments, uh, maps, letters, uh, documents. Keep everything that you can, um, and keep them in a safe place. Um, Try to preserve them. Um, try to um, identify some someone or some people within your family to keep a record of those documents and record them. <clears throat> um, you know, it when when you when you look back, when you look back, and you 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 know, all, all of us in the family, we've said oh, only if we wish we would have, right? Yeah. Uh, we wish we would have recorded a conversation or we wish we would have kept this or what have you or kept these photographs. Keep whatever you can. Um, it's it's really invaluable. Um, and I know as as Diana is going through a lot of things, uh I mean, she she and her family are doing a fantastic job of trying to get get her information and historical content together. Uh, but try try to work on a record keeping process. Store whatever you can, and try to identify people in your family who may have certain documents and records as well. Again, keep the land. Keep keep valuable instruments, uh, papers, letters, photographs, whatever. Stay, keep them, hang on to them. They are invaluable. If you've just uh, tuned in to Bring It On, the voice you've heard uh, is Lavella Hyder of the Roberts Settlement. And with us also is Diana Daniels of the Lick Creek African American Settlement. And these ladies have just been giving us a master's class on um, maintaining and enhancing their family's uh, legacy. And um, I had a question, how I first met LaBella, um, I went up to Connor Prairie and you you had a relationship, a, a uh, collaborative relationship with Connor Prairie. 
And Connor Curry, for those that may not know, uh, they specialize in trying to recreate a time period throughout that uh, sort of living experiment up there. That, that's the best way to say it. And when I went up there, you were involved with reenactments from Robert's settlement. And can you share with our listening audience if those are still going on and what those were, what, what they were about? Well, those were about a, a certain uh, period of time uh, at, at Robert's settlement in the, in the lives of people at Robert's settlement, um, you know, concerning a particular family and life experiences and, and what have you. And we, we always welcome um, organizations or institutions like Connor Prairie to work on uh, collaborative uh, um, uh, events um, and, and what have you. It's, it's, really, it's really good to build relationships like that. Um, it's really important to do that. And we, we, um, we value that tremendously. Um, and we also appreciate the fact that they come to us asking for our input. We want to make sure, we want to make sure that what they are delivering is factual and accurate. And I, I really, um, appreciate that they value us in coming to us to make sure that that, that is being handled, uh, respectfully. And it's a two way street as well. Um, with that, with that in mind, um, you know, we've, we've got our legacy walk that we're working on, right? And the legacy walk is, is going to be an outdoor experience that we are going to be building at Robert's settlement. We, it w- that will be an opportunity where it will be in our own words. Who, who better than us, the descendants of Robert's settlement to deliver the message, right? We know what the message is. We have all of the history at our hands at our disposal. We have the capabilities to do that and what have you. And uh, we want to be able to tell the story in our own way. We know it firsthand and we want to be able to honor that and respect that and respect those founders on whose shoulders we stand to be able to give this the justice that it deserves. And uh, Diana, the same question. Uh, I know that you're doing some fascinating work with um, sort of cleaning up and uh, researching a cemetery. That's right. on the creek. Can you tell us? Um, that my mentors, and I'm so proud to be a part of what she's doing. This is a fantastic lady. And uh, she just knows how to help you so well to get you started. And she's been a great help to us and came down to Mitchell and met with us and gave us good advice. The first thing she told me is get you a 501c3. The second thing she told me was to get a website. And we have followed what she said every step of the way. If you don't own your own land, then you're going to have to work with some agency that does own it. And the important thing you don't want to see happen, you don't want your history to be uh, erased. And by that, when they come in and they begin to burn trees or do logging, that affects the actual ground. And what's under that ground, that may be of some value to the family. So there, number one, you're going to have to work with somebody who 
currently owns the actual land. In our case, we do not own the settlement, but we do own the cemetery. The cemetery doesn't belong to anybody. But with 192 bodies buried there, I think we own it. I don't I don't see anybody uh back in those days letting somebody black bury 192 bodies on their land. So that's how we have kind of uh looked at it. The one of the things that we have found in working with the forestry, they've been very kind to us, very, very gentle, very uh agreeable. As a matter of fact, we'll be down uh there on Sunday in uh Lick Creek with the forestry, and I'm taking 30 other family members uh to go and to actually see those grave sites and the uh headstones and to get to know better uh their own history. Now I'm talking 30-year-olds, 20, 20-year-olds, some 40-year-olds. These are all nieces and nephews and their children. So this is how this is how you keep it going. You've got to train people in your family to care. And this generation with so much technology and so much that is going on, it's hard to get them to focus on something that happened 200 years ago. And you got to take them there. You got to show it to them. You got to preach. You got to tell them. So that's what we are doing Sunday. And then on to the Spring Mill State Park for our family gathering. It's, um, I've learned a lot of what I know from my mentor. Lavella just knows everything. And you really need to have her on your show, show more often. I am. When I think about what Roberts has has done, wouldn't it be great to have all of these Lost Creek Beach? All of them need to have some development. This history cannot be erased, and it's going to be erased if we don't pass it on. Um, so that's basically where uh, Lick Creek stands. We're just really have made lots of progress in the one year that we have been doing lots of progress. I'm, I'm amazed at how fast this is happening. I get frightened sometimes because I just can't do everything. And I keep thinking, well, who's going to do that? Who's going to do that? But some, but in your family, people will step up. They will step up to the plate uh, to help you. So please uh, keep your show going. Keep it going. We're really proud of it. Thank you so much. Uh, we've just won our fifth award. Am I yeah, right? Yeah. We just won a, another first place award this year. Uh, yes. The Indiana uh, Best in Journalism Award. And we've won a slew of awards. Now, now Liz is one to ask that question. Liz has won numerous awards for her segment, Dark Past, Bright Future, which is how we first got involved with Bring It On. Uh, she had this this function to put together something that talked about our ha- our past, may it, may it be a dark past or a promising past, but yet a bright future. So we've collaborated now going close to 20 years. Yes. Yeah. It is really important to me to preserve our history. Uh, since I grew up doing segregation, I saw Indiana Avenue. I saw Bill Street. We traveled there. I love Christmas Attic School. 
I knew about Gary Roosevelt. I have love in my heart for those schools. And for the history to disappear mm. and now of late laws being passed to say we can't talk about it. Oh, hell no. No, no we're, we're not doing that. And so it's really, it's really important for all of us, not just the black community. Yep. It's no need in any child being ignorant of all the history yep. in America. And wow. we're part of that thread. Mm-hmm. We made America the way it is on the backs of our ancestors, the blood they shed, black men fought in every war. We need to keep those stories alive. And mm-hmm. I'm proud of all the families that say, hey, this is our land. We're going to keep it come hell or high water and to teach the young people. I, we just had our family reunion this weekend. And we, we kind of have to set all the kids aside and have like an educational program. Here's your great greats, great, great, greats. This is what they did. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you when you're saying you got to get those young people down there to lick creek and show them because they have a responsibility and it's up to people our age to tell them and to teach them. And, in, uh, and, and during our, Liz, during our homecoming, which will be in a few weeks, we've, we've got during our, our Saturday event, we're having hot dogs, uh, hayride and history. Okay. So we're, we're including a, a history section in there with the kids. Okay. Yeah. That's hot dogs, hot dogs and history. You can't, yeah. you can't beat that. Well, Bella, tell, tell our listening audience what's going on with Roberts Creek and your celebration that's coming up. Well, you know, as, as, uh, as was mentioned earlier, it is a momentous occasion, our 100th consecutive homecoming. Mm-hmm. And so we, it's a four day event. We've expanded it another day because the, the, uh, the Thursday uh, before we're, we're adding on an extra day to be able to recognize Hamilton County's bicentennial. So that Thursday evening, um, uh, on the 29th of June, we're having a history panel. Some uh, history scholars will be coming to the chapel. It's sold out. Uh, we'll be having a, a special, uh, event, uh, we, the free people of color, uh, movements and identity. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, that, that's going to be an exciting opportunity and we're going to be live streaming that as well. Uh, and then we will, uh, be having, uh, our, uh, hot dogs and hayride in history on Friday and our program on Saturday. We're having Adelia bundles will be our, our featured speaker, and uh, we'll also have uh, Melissa White, who is uh, a Grammy Award-winning violinist, my cousin, who's coming in from New York, will be uh, uh, performing, uh, and, uh, and we'll do a, some special tributes uh, on, on Saturday as well, and, and just we'll be closing it out with uh, our worship service uh, in just, it's going to be a very spiritual uh, uplifting Sunday presentation that we'll be having. So four days, four days, and it will be our, I, I just know it's going to be our largest, largest ever event. We've got people coming in from all over the country, uh, cousins coming in from India. Oh, wow. India wow. coming in from India hmm. to attend. So hmm. It's, I know Diana's going to be there and hope Liz, yeah. you and Clarence will be there as well. I've already got my ticket. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm leaving uh, Clarence it, in the dust. 
right. <laughs> but, but when you get there, please give my best to Olivia Bundles. Um, we have okay. talked to her before on the show, and I knew her father, um, um, uh, Henry. Henry Sam Sam Henry Bundles. He was very particular. Yeah. Sam Henry Bundles. He's one of the founders of the Neil Marshall Alumni Club. Oh. And, so, and so, yeah, go ahead. And, uh, you know, again, things go full circle, it seems. Yeah. Um, and with no time left in this interview. <laughs> um, Man, it went by. It, 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 well, after the 100th and after the experiences there, it, it really makes sense to bring you all back. Um, we have Juneteenth next Monday. And we're going to try to do something special for that. But uh, and, I, and I want to continue this, this theme of just remembering and embracing our past. But I think at this point, we're going to put a pin in it. And Liz, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and okay. land the plane. All right. All right. Certainly. Our thanks to our guest, uh, two lovely women, Lavella Heiter of the Roberts Settlement and Diana Daniels of the Lick Creek African-American Settlements for joining us this evening to discuss the origins, the growth, and what the future entails for the descendants of these two historic African-American settlements in Indiana. And Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringingon at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. That email address, once again, is bringingon at wfhb.org. Bringing on executive producers, none other than Clarence Boone, our assistant producers, myself, Liz Mitchell, show consultant and WFHB News Department Director is Cade Young. Program engineer is Chantal Lafatant. Original theme music was created by Jamal Ephraim with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Liz Mitchell. And I'm Clarence Boone. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.